Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, Saints fans, you should check out our friends Ralph Malbro and Andrew Juge at Saints Happy Hour. Not only are they the podcast that Sean Payton hates, if you haven't heard that clip, you need to, the most, but they they cover the Saints with a perfect blend of sincerity and stupidity. Uh, God's Honest Truth, they're my favorite podcast, and I probably listen to about uh, 30 podcasts per week, so that's saying something, I guess. It's the perfect blend of fun and Saints coverage. Search Saints Happy Hour wherever you get your podcasts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair all-american network for more on your pelicans go to itunes search the bird calls and subscribe today What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. We are on week 387 of the quarantine. Obviously, uh, a lot of us are getting pretty restless, but hopefully our little pod can help you pass the time until we get some meaningful basketball back. We'll talk about all that later, as well as the last dance and our beloved Pelicans. But first up, we have our editor-in-chief, the renovation man, Mr. Ali Cosell. What's up, dude? I'm not the renovation man anymore. I'm gumbo man today, cooking up a big pot as I just sent you a picture of. By the way, your phone call says dislike Collins. Have I just been out of New Orleans for so long that I don't know what that you is? You know what you did. <laughs> you know what you did, Preston. Oh, I see. I get it. There I you missed. Go. I had to scroll over to see the Dash Hunter. Okay, now I know you where we're at. You cannot trade Zion away for... We'll get to it, but you're not okay, allowed well, to do that deal anyways. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's talk about the man who always goes hard in the paint, the man who is not Mr. High-Pitched in the paint, Mr. David Grubb. That's right. Uh, it's good to be back. It's It feels like we've been away for far, far too long, but that always, even when we were a week apart, I feel like that with you guys because I love conversing with you. So let's have some fun. Ooh, some positivity. And the man who went hard into urgent care yesterday after a scary <laughs> encounter. Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. We're uh, we're all recovering. We got uh, me and the two dogs got attacked by a pit bull yesterday on our walk. Um, so I think me and Iverson got the worst of it. I, at first, I didn't think Babs got bit at all. But then we ended up finding a bite underneath her arm. So we had to bring her into the vet, too. But Iverson got bit on the penis, which is was very oh yeah, so you have to have like, x-rays and uh, make sure it wasn't totally damaged and he, that he wasn't going to be pissing blood or anything. I have uh, some gnarly bite wounds in my leg, uh, but we're doing all right. They they're, uh, they seem to be normal. I was worried Iverson would be kind of emotionally scarred because he had like a really rough life before we got him and he was like very... Uh, he has a lot of anxiety and he's very uh, anxious all the time. And so I was worried he was going to be apprehensive about going on walks and stuff, but uh, we've been on walks. In fact, this morning, some asshole was out on the corner with her dog, not on a leash and it just charged at us. 
the day after we got attacked, barking and being all aggressive. And she was like, oh, he's fine. Like, no. Uh, <laughs> show her your leg, fine. man. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, only the, a, in the day after. To get, aren't they supposed to put a dog, like, well, I hate to say it like that, but aren't they supposed to put them down after they attack a human? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't contact the police or, or like, um, animal control. I mean, the, the owner was there, took, took it, she paid all our bills already. Um, so we're going to see Kevin in a bicycle. She learned with a peach basket, (laughs) with a picnic basket. (laughs) Bring it like, you gotta give me your dog. (laughs) Is Kevin the witch from from the Wizard of Oz? Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Only on the Bird Calls podcast could we just casually work our way past a penis biting joke. Uh, Something that I feel like our friends at Saints Happy Hour would not have glossed over, but here we are gentlemen. Uh, And just a quick PSA. We love dogs. I have two. Uh, I know David has one. Ali has two. Kevin has two. When you are in public... Yeah, he does care for probably half the neighborhood's dogs. Ali, you're a good man. Thanks, man, but I've got three dogs, so you don't know me very well, do you? (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Uh, I I don't care how well your dogs are behaved. Just it's your responsibility. If something happens involving your dog, it's not the dog's fault. It's yours. This has been my public service announcement. Please, when you are in public, leash your animals. Let's talk hoops. We'll start with the conversation tied around playing games in Las Vegas or the magical land of Disney World. Obviously, we have all covered games in Vegas at Summer League, and I have covered games at ESPN's Wide World of Sports last summer. Ali, if games do resume, which of the two locations makes the most sense, and do you think the NBA can pull it off? I think Disney actually makes more sense because I think you need something more than just a hotel, a couple of hotels and using a convention center for basketball courts. For basketball players, these guys that love and only know pretty much luxury, right? Accommodations, plus you've got to think some families will come along. I just think that Las Vegas wouldn't be the right environment, um, especially when, you know, there's been mixed messages coming out in Nevada ever since, uh, was it, the mayor of Las Vegas came out and said some really rough, stupid things. So anyways, I, I'm more of a fan of Disneyland. Um, Preston, you'll be able to. California. California. That's why Preston needs to talk about the layout over there. But no, I think it's a better idea. I I just feel like there's more for the families. I think, Preston, didn't you tell me there's like five courts they can actually use, stuff like that? So it just seems like the facility is better suited to host something like this, which is going to last, guys, well, at least two months. Yeah, I mean, the property is owned by Walt Disney. It's not public property. It's not university property. Uh, The layout that I went to um, at the ESPN Wild World of Sports, they had one main court on the floor that probably sat around like 1,000 to 2,000 people. Then they had two courts upstairs, which were very tightly compressed together. So you could have feasibly at least three games going on at a time, and you could very easily you know, rope off that uh, entire section of Walt Disney property to, to keep the public out. There's no foot traffic around there. So it would be very feasible. But we covered at Thomas and Mac and you know you you have to drive to get there too we remember what it was like to walk there it was probably about a a mile walk from the Hard Rock uh, Casino let's let's go to Grub because there's never another really important aspect of this story that might not be getting enough attention Uh, I read a report today that they might need around 15,000 tests to administer to athletes coaches equipment personnel how do you think the NBA can go about securing all of that and and reasonably telling the public why they need them it's it's a very big public relations issue, and I think that's probably why the NBA has been the quietest of, of the leagues um, for the most part. 
uh, because they know logistically how big an issue this is and because the fact that their players are so um, recognizable and open. Um, so I think that there's they they worry about backlash. They were they, they took it the first time when players were getting tests. They had to explain why players were getting tests. So I think the NBA is going to be very careful about this moving forward, especially if because of some of these states like Georgia, which already saw a spike after one day of, of loosening its um, uh, restrictions, like Nevada, which has maybe the dumbest, uh, Las Vegas, which has maybe the dumbest, well, one of the m- dumbest mayors in the country, like Florida, which Ron DeSantis is not the smartest uh, person I've ever seen either. Um, <laughs> there's a number of issues that you're just going to have to deal with, and this is one of them. And I think the NBA does not want to be seen as taking advantage um, I, I don't think that they want to be seen as elitist in this and that they got access to things that others didn't. Um, so I think whatever is done, they're going to look for some uniformity uh, to go along with it so that it doesn't, they are not separating themselves from the average person. All right. And Kevin, with seven game playoff formats dragged across four rounds, in addition to some form of a regular season how how are they logistically going to dwindle all this down and still crown a viable winner if every single playoff team might be playing as many as a minimum of 30 games? Yeah, I don't I don't see like I'm one of the people that don't see how a regular season is going to happen again. I think it's that's done. I mean, I I can't see as far as we are now and how how much work we still need to do to get there then like like Grub was just saying, you know, people are starting to open up and infection rates are skyrocketing again. I mean, we like I'm very in tune to what's happening in Singapore because I used to live there and I have a bunch of friends that live there. And, uh, you know, they just had another skyrocket because they opened up again. Um, and I think people aren't really focusing on the reality of the situation we're in. It's not, it's not going to, there's no short-term fix to this till there's, um, you know, there, there's a, Sorry, my brain is fried right now. It, that, that there's a um, uh, a vaccination for it, it you know. So um, I don't think that um, there's any way that the regular season can happen and just have all these people there. And with the amount of time that we're going to have, because you're going to have to have constant testing, you're going to have to keep people segregated. It's just too much to tackle. I think the only way it's going to work is if it's some sort of playoff system. Maybe a tournament at the for the for the lower seeds to get into the playoff system could possibly work, but other than that, I really think the regular season's done, and I I don't even really believe that they're eventually going to be able to pull this off until next season. I think the season's washed. Yeah, I, I want to continue on. Yeah, I want to continue with that line of thinking, Ali, because, you know, obviously all these players are pushing for, you know, basically some form of exhibition games or how to finish out the regular season before they get to the meaningful playoff games. And that's all well and good for teams like the Bucks and the Lakers, who are basically just stretching their legs before they go on their finals push. But for teams like the Suns, like the Kings, like the Pelicans, who we all anticipated were going to fight for that playoff spot. But if we only have like eight games left, that three and a half game lead over the Grizzlies suddenly is pretty sizable. What is the motivation or the impetus for these teams who now had that opportunity to make that playoff surge now possibly don't why should they want to put themselves at risk just to play a couple of warm-up games for the guys who are contending you know and they shouldn't and this isn't just golden state warriors which i know steve kerr has recently said that he's not in favor of bringing and playing clay thompson if he's ready to go and others putting him in jeopardy for no reason because it is exhibition games for them 
And you, you've also got to count the Pelicans in your scenario. There's only like five, six, seven games. How much sense does it make? And if you're David Griffin, to put Zion out there when he's been off for so long. And, and yes, these players have been working on their own, but we all know that they're not doing near the amount that's going to keep them in a basketball style of shape. And especially with Zion coming off such a big injury and he was closely monitored to suddenly ramping him up quickly and then putting him on the floor for games that don't matter. That's why I think if the NBA is going to do this, they have got to give incentives to every single team. And as for the Pelicans, I think what you do with them is a play-in tournament. If you can't get in, this is if you can't get in all the regular season games. Uh, you do a, some kind of play-in tournament where Memphis gets the automatic bid to get in the, you know, the final game to get that AC. But then you have the Trailblazers, Pelicans, Spurs, and the Kings all battle to get uh, the opportunity to play the Grizzlies to get into the playoffs. Um, as for the teams below them, you've got to give them some kind of incentive too. And I advocate some kind of playing tournament just for them, ones that don't have any chance of making the playoffs or, or desire, you know, maybe the Suns. I, I don't know where, where they lie, but they're about, what, six games out. But realistically, they don't have a chance. But anyways, you've got to give these guys something to play for. I don't know what. But until that happens, then if I'm the coaches, if I'm general managers, you're right, Preston. I have no need to play or play even competitive style games with my best players when the season's already over for them. Now, Grub, he mentioned giving the the Grizzlies a go-ahead. Since they have earned it, they do have a three-and-a-half game lead. But then when you talk about this play-in tournament for the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Suns are only three games back to the Blazers. You've got five teams in that mix for that ninth spot. How do you make this fair for everybody involved? And then when you take a glimpse at the Eastern Conference, well, at the ninth seed is six games out of the eighth spot. How do you, do you then do the same thing for the East, even though it's not quite as competitive as the West? How do you make all this viable for for everyone there's no way to make it fair that's why I'm, that's why i'm in the, the camp with kevin is that the the whatever legitimacy that this season has is gone because you cannot um you know the whole point of a season is the ebb and flow of it and how teams develop over the course of it or how injuries impact people or how you know travel impacts people well now all these variables are there are so many more involved like you said, people look, let's take one name, for example, Vince Carter. He said he's played his last game. He was a rotation player for the Hawks. What do you do for guys like that? There's no way to make this legitimate. However, this happens, it would be worse than the 50 game lockout season because that when you know everybody always said the Spurs had an asterisk. Imagine a scenario where however it ends up the Lakers or the Bucks or the Raptors or the Clippers getting upset in the first round by some team that played in a tournament to get into the postseason, people think, oh, that's exciting, but that's not what you want from the NBA. The NBA is a star-driven, top-team-driven league, and that rhythm is completely gone now. Uh, and I just think that if you're taking six more weeks, once you decide that you've got a place just to get into training camp, you are getting so far into the business part of the NBA calendar that it does compromise the 2020-21 season and the 21-22 season. And I think the NBA business of that is far more important than salvaging a illegitimate championship. But now, Dave, I, I just want to throw this out there, whoever wants to answer it. But to go against your point, let's just say that the NBA does have an interest. The owners have an interest in recouping some or a lot of you know, profits that they've lost. The players 
And if you've got people like LeBron James, guys at the top saying they want to play and they'll support it, you got to think everybody else is going to have to go follow in suit. So let's say everybody's on board with playing, David. How would your answer change? The owners already aren't. They're already owners who are saying they don't want to resume. Because yeah, they but don't it's want of the to... ones that, that have no chance to play for something meaningful. No, it's not just them. Because Mark Cuban at one point has said that he'd seriously consider not doing it. And but... I think that they're not going – you cannot recoup money. It's either there or it's not. And it's the money they've lost is lost. They're not going to make it back. Opening arenas is not going to make it back. The TV money is not going to make it back this year. It's un- I mean, it's just – it's not going to happen. And it doesn't matter. You don't let players drive decisions. It's a it's they are not in charge. It's a business decision. That's executives and, and medical professionals are supposed to make that. Not the owners and not the players. Wow. Kevin, that's gotta, my thought anyway. <laughs> Kevin, I, we I got, wholeheartedly would grub on that. I mean, you know, there's just no viable way to make it fair for everyone. There's it, it won't ever be fair. Um, but these are different times. It, it's synonymous to me with the way life is for each one of us right now. We've got to make adjustments and there's going to be a new normal. But right? why are the rest of the leagues in the world, the major, and I'm sorry, Kevin, to step on you, but no, that's fine. Why, well, why would you see France has already canceled its, its soccer league through the rest yeah. of this year? English Premier League, gone. The, you, know, you see league after league who has, have, uh, in places that are just as ravenous. You can't tell me people aren't ravenous about the EPL. And those fans, whether they, you know, have not been as as we are, we are indulgent. That's the American thing, the indulgence of it, and not wanting to say a momentary sacrifice of something of some entertainment in the it's long more run than that, for the David, balance. You know that. It's more than no, it's not more. It's not more because you before there is not that much time before a new season would begin. There's not. It's not as long as people want to make it out to be. And if you have a crappy champion, the new season is getting the moved back. Season, David, the new season is getting moved back. Even if it gets draft. moved back, you still have to have a draft. You still have to have an off season. You still have to have a free agent period. You still have right. to have all those things. Right. And and people want to make their decisions. And you can't go into June, July, August with a season that makes no sense. It just it doesn't. Why not? And it, all it's it takes is one injury, one injury or one death. Is that season. worth it? Is one injury or one death know. worth it? No, we it's don't not. Know. It's not. It's not worth it. That's my problem. I'm sorry. Kevin. Let me just pitch this to Kevin. Uh, let's say that the Dallas Mavericks remove themselves, which would actually help even things out a bit, because then you'd have 12 teams uh, in this tournament that have 39 wins or more, with the Rockets being the lowest seed, uh, coupled with the Philadelphia 76ers. If you take this format in Walt Disney World, where you've only got 12 teams, maybe a few selected media personnel and nothing else, all of a sudden, you've got 10 different teams with 15 athletes from each team in the stands with rooted interest uh, watching these two teams play at one time. Would, would that be, would that be of any interest to you, Kevin, seeing the way that LeBron James is, is eyeballing, you know, Giannis going head to head with Joel Embiid. Would, would that be captivating for you? I mean, obviously I'm going to watch that because it's basketball and I want to watch basketball that's live and competitive. Um, But I you know, like I'm with Grub in the sense that like I I look at basketball as I love it. It's fun. It's entertainment, but it's just a sport and it doesn't matter and it doesn't affect uh, the really important things in the world. And I just think that by forcing it in there, you can say what you say. I mean, sure, it's, it will 
it will elevate people's spirits, you know, those kind of things it will be good for. But in the, in the long run, uh, is doing this really worth it? And, and what is it really going to do for us in the long, in the long run? What kind of message is it sending also? I mean, like, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there that are trying to force cities open and things like that. We start doing things like this where we're putting people together and it's sending the message that it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, which I don't necessarily think it is. Um, so I don't know. It's, it, you know, obviously, like I said, if they can figure out a way to make it work, people are going to want to see it. People are going to want to watch it. But even if that's the case, I don't know that it's the right decision to be made. And I, I honestly don't think it is. I think they should just cancel the season and focus on how to deal with this in the future, come up with better plans to navigate in the future and prepare for the future instead of trying to force this weird, like, you know, it's like a TV show that starts, it's one season, but for some reason it's broken up where there's a huge gap in the middle and it's like weird jumping back into it. Um, there's really no flow. Um, there's like Grub said, there's a lot of legitimacy questions about like who would win the championship and who's left out, um, which I understand that things like that have happened before 51 seasons, stuff like that. I mean, uh, 50 game seasons and things like that, but this is something totally different. And I just think, you know, also, I mean, just like, look, like I saw LeBron James statement yesterday. It's like, before you say something like that, did you go talk to somebody like Carl Anthony Towns who lost his mom to this disease? You know, like there's a lot of other impacts to this that they're not thinking about um, impacts to players, impacts to their families, impacts to um, people connected to the team. And I just think it's like it's selfish of us to just demand to have this sport because we're bored at home. You know, people are acting like we're in jail or we're victims of war when we just get to stay home and do our work from home and things like that. You know, it's just take a break, relax. Other countries live in war torn situations constantly that we are lucky enough to never have to deal with. This is something that's not nearly as bad as you know, what Palestinians and Israelis deal with every day, you know? So just bring yourself in, stop being so selfish and focus on the bigger picture is what and I think. I want to just follow up something Kevin said. Uh, he was saying working from home. Obviously, a lot of us do work from home. However, a lot of us, and I'll just use myself as an example, was furloughed from Walt Disney Company. So we are certainly feeling the same level of pressure or some – I'm not going to compare myself to anyone else – some level of pressure. My wife also has no income, but we also want to push health first. So just want to agree with everybody, everything that Kevin just said, but also preface it with that. With that being said, let's circle back to basketball, Ali. Obviously, this is going to have long-term ramifications against uh, the salary cap, the collective bargaining agreement may need to be renegotiated. Some kind of conversation is going to happen there. And let's bring it back to how this affects the Pelicans. A lowered cap, that's going to affect extension eligible players like Drew Holiday. Derek Favors is going to be a free agent. How does that affect Drew Fa uh, Derek Favors? Well, now the Pelicans have less money to spend. You anticipate that they're going to give Brandon Ingram whatever 25% of the cap is. If the cap's $100 million, he's going to get $25 million. Right now, they're slated around $83 million. You waive uh, Darius Miller. Uh, that's $76 million. That still brings you to $100 million. So they don't have much to spend on favors. They do have the bird rights. Anyway, long story short, Ali, how is this going to affect how the Pelicans build their team long term? It's not going to affect them that much at all, I think. I think it's going to kill teams that were pursuing to be cap space teams because suddenly you're not going to have the amount of space 
to uh, go chase players to build probably the team you were kind of envisioning. Uh, it's going to be curious to see exactly what they do because I've heard some people say they're going to either absorb the big losses from this season directly into just next year's cap. Others are talking about just setting some kind of plateau because you don't want to dip it too low. So that's all going to be important too. But as far as the Pelicans, I'm not too worried. I don't even think somebody like, say, Brandon Ingram is going to think, well, maybe I should just sign for one year, wait for the salary cap to bounce back up before I sign you know, my long-term contract. Because, yeah, he's going to lose money by saying a long-term deal this summer. Uh, but I've, I've heard enough opinions to where I feel pretty confident that a couple million here, a couple million there isn't going to really change his mind because you still want that security. You're still going to get paid, you know, in comparison, plenty of money. It's not going to be like all of a sudden he's taking a fraction of what he was going to get. But no, Preston, I'm not too worried. And as far as Derek Favors, you just nailed it, right? Any of the free agents the Pelicans have, like Favors, they're going to bring back because they've got the bird rights. Um, now, would they have a threat of maybe jumping into some kind of luxury tax? That could be. But I just don't really foresee it. I think the Pelicans are fortunate because they have a young team. They've got some good veterans. But almost all the ones that really matter to this core are tied up in one way or another, whether they already have a contract or you've got to think they're going to sign a new contract because this, like for Ingram, extension, uh, or excuse me, Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart think extension as to where Ingram needs a new one. And he's not going to go test the free agent market when he can get the most because the Pelicans have his rights and stuff. So, no, I, I think from that perspective, I'm not too worried about it for Daniel or David Griffin in the front office. I think they can manage this pretty easily. Before I pass it to Grubb, I just want to follow up with something. Uh, when players sign their their extension and they sign at 25% of the cap, it's it's not a fixed dollar amount when you see uh, Ben Simmons sign for five years, $170 million. He's not actually signing for $170 million. He's signing for 25% of the cap. So if the cap moves, then that contract he has signed thereby changes. That's something I recently learned. So Jamal Murray is not going to make $28.8 million next year. He's going to make 25% of the cap. So I think with that being said, Brandon Ingram would then sign his four-year extension because – Number one, he's going to make $20 million more this year. And two, whatever number he signs for isn't the number he's actually signing for. So even if the cap does dip this year, it can go back up next year, and it's still going to be the same monetary amount. Does that make sense, David? Am I on the right track or the wrong track here? I think I think you're on the right track. Um, you know, financially, I think there are going to be a lot of questions going for four teams. Um I worry about how the math is going to work. We know that the player's share is constant, but also looming, you know, we have the prospect in a year of a lockout or a strike um, when the collective bargaining agreement ends. So all of this, there's so much going on with, with the NBA right now financially that sorting through it and trying to have a definitive idea on anything is just so hard. So, I mean, even if our best guess in a month, it could be completely different in three months. It could be completely different um, just because the state of what revenues could look like, how do TV companies adjust? I know that they have contracts, but do they have clauses that adjust how much revenue that they provide to the league? So, I mean, it's it's such a a dynamic um, situation financially that I don't think, you know, teams are going to be hurt as much as people think um, as far as with dealing with player transactions. But I think overall, 
it could be very, it could lead to a very contentious battle between players and owners when the CBA ends. All right, Kevin, let's talk about something a bit more positive. Uh, right now, we're just trying to be informative and just discuss and try to get everybody's different perspectives on on where we're at. But Kevin, just in terms of the Pelicans on court play, Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball have largely been, I don't know, uh, injured uh, during each offseason, been rehabilitating, whether it be from thrombosis in his shoulder, Brandon Ingram's soldier, shoulder, or uh, chronic ankle injuries that cost Lonzo Ball to miss 30 and 35 games his first two seasons. What will it mean for these two players to finally enter an offseason healthy? I mean, it's got to be great, you know. I mean, and look at us as Pels fans. We're so used to having a bunch of injuries during the offseason, like coming into the regular season, whether we drafted guys that were injured or we just have guys that are recovering, have surgeries right before the season starts. So to have that, you know, clean slate of health, because everybody really right now is healthy. The only guy I think that, I mean, and even he's made a lot of strides, looks like he's almost ready to go is Darius Miller, who probably doesn't have a future on this team anyway. Um, but, you know, everybody else being in, in solid health is something that we're not used to. And it's got to feel amazing for guys like Lonzo and Ingram who have battled injuries for most of their careers. All right, uh, Ali, we're going to get to another dramatic uh, topic and then we'll go ahead and transition to last dance after we get some questions. Alvin Gentry, Ali, you and I were texting or talking on the phone, uh, I think yesterday about the long-term viability of Alvin Gentry. Not just is he at risk being an older gentleman in terms of the coronavirus. He's He's been in New Orleans for quite a long period of time. He's got one year left on his contract. Uh, what do you think the Pelicans do here? Do you think they go into the offseason giving him another vote of confidence as they did uh, the last two years? Or do you think this could be an opportunity for a change? Yeah, I'm so divided on this topic. And just putting aside my personal biases, because I think Alvin Gentry is a generally great guy. I think that the Pelicans should and probably will explore going in another avenue i'm not saying they will make a move but i just think if they can identify somebody that they feel is somebody that they want to bring in then can, therefore you can you know he's going to be here long term through zion's career because let's face it, alvin gentry at age 65 uh you're not sure if he even would want to coach um zion through what seven eight years here in new orleans or however long he is in new orleans hopefully longer so if, if you deem that then you, you've got to think, well, maybe it's better to bring in a younger coach now that can kind of grow with your young core. So I think that's probably what the Pelicans are considering right now, or at least they should be. And so you've got to then identify which candidate is out there that would fit kind of the guy you're looking for, kind of the style of the play you want, kind of that fits, you know, make can make these pieces that the Pelicans have, which are obviously great offensive players but you they've got particular skills some of them they're not all exactly the best two-way players like for instance Lonzo Ball even though his offense has really improved he's still more of a pass first and I can defend some players kind of guy and Zion you know for right now he's limited too so you need somebody that can make all these pieces work so yeah Preston I mean Alvin Jackson's got one more year you know they picked up his option last summer so he's got one more year will they give him another small extension because of this I don't know because, I mean, if not, then he's going to be kind of sitting in, 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 in a contract year and so they could let him go at any point. But you've also got to think of it from a business perspective. Do you want to pay Alvin a full year, but then pay somebody else to come in? You know, from Gail Penson's perspective, the business side, when you know that the revenues are going to not be there like they've been typically in the past, at least for a year. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. 
Grub, are you looking uh, on, on the open market right now for a veteran NBA coach like a Mike D'Antoni, uh, an Alvin Gentry, knowing that Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball are 22, Zion's 19? Do you think they'd prefer a developmental coach at this stage of where the Pelicans sit? Did we lose, Grub? No, his, his oh, mic is muted. muted. <laughs> Unmute yourself. There, there you go. All right. There bye. you are. Uh, to me, it's not about age. It's about philosophy. You know, who's going to come in? Are, are you going to find a coach who wants to come in and change Zion and wants to be somebody who says, let's move him farther and farther from the basket? You know, what, what's the vision of that individual? And, and does, it, does it jive with what you're trying to do long-term with this team? Um, to me, you know, if somebody can be successful – I mean, in their 60s, they absolutely can. I mean, we saw Phil Jackson. Certainly, you talk about a different situation with Kobe Bryant and, and Shaq at his age. But, you know, he, he's successful. Greg Popovich is successful at his age. So it's, it's much more a philosophical fit. Does that person understand player development? Are they going to bring in the kind of assistance that you want to see? Are they, do they have an emphasis on um, skill development and how are they as a communicator? Because the one thing that, that, that may be the most difficult thing to replace is how people feel about Alvin. The players love him. And that's the thing is you better bring in somebody. It ain't about necessarily love, but they better respect him. Yeah, for sure. Kevin, uh, this is your turn now. Obviously, uh, everybody knows by now the Pelicans started 6-22. and And then they had that nice streak towards the end of the season uh, during that initial 6-22 to collapse. They were without Derek Favors, I think, for 12-14 to games straight. Uh, of course, they were without Lon- uh, Zion Williamson for all of that. So how do you compare and contrast the two different halves of the season, one that saw the Pelicans as the second-worst team in the NBA and the other that saw their starting five as the best in the NBA? Well, I mean, you have to look at the fact that what was there, thir- 12, 13 new players. So, and co- hardly anybody played with each other before. And the ones that have played for, with each other are coming into a new system for the most part. Um, so there's got to be a huge learning curve. I mean, I, I don't know across the league if there was any roster that was turned over more than the Pelicans roster, um, except for maybe. Um, maybe the Nets roster, but I still think that Pelicans even have a higher turnover than that. Um, so it's going to take a while. Then obviously, you know, having a guy you're accounting on to be your defensive anchor uh, now misses a bunch of games. And then you're a guy that you're building your team around as, you know, you know, you could say what you want about Drew Holiday being the face of the franchise. We all knew it was really Zion's team. And um, so you know, huge focal point of your team coming in is now gone. So, you know, obviously it was all doom and gloom from the beginning. It's a totally different situation towards the end of the season where you had healthy bodies and you had more of a comfort in the system, people knowing their roles. You've had time to have your coaches work with players. You know, it took a while for Lonzo's shot to to develop, you know. I mean, it developed quickly, you would say, but at the beginning of the season, it, it wasn't what it was by, you know, the close of the season, um, something you can rely on going in on catch and shoot situations. Um, so there's a lot of development along the way. Um, you know, obviously Fred Vincent gets praised all the time for that and, and those kind of things, it takes time. And, uh, especially with that high turnover. So I think it's hard to compare the two, the beginning of the season to the second half of the season, because, you know, it all was a matter of gelling and getting people together and getting people to play together and to understand a system for the first half. And then, 
the second half is more of what you should expect because they've played together now. They know a system. They know each other's tendencies. Um, people are healthy. People are are not hampered. Um, you can run the full scope of what you were trying to do from uh, training camp when you had a healthy favors, when you had a healthy Zion, and you had those plans set, um, and everybody started to fit into their roles. Um, so I think it, it's it's kind of unfair to really compare the two. I think if you're looking for ex- expectations going forward, you look at the back half, obviously, um, and hope that that's what the future is like. And you have, I think you have good reason to think that because of what we've seen from the numbers and, uh, you know, all the other factors I just explained that, you know, there's gelling, there's understanding of a system, understanding of roles and understanding each other. And that's really all it is. All right, we're going to go ahead and transition before we do that. Ali Cosell, uh, Kenny Atkinson, an upgrade over Alvin Gentry or no? Ooh, I like Kenny. I'm working on a piece, so I have to say yes. Okay, let's go ahead and transition. We've got a lot of questions. We've got three from Derek, uh, hashtag last man eating. Uh, let's go ahead and look at his first question. We've already kind of covered this, but I'll just briefly touch on it. Who's staying, who's going, and why? Uh, my two cents, I would anticipate that Darius Miller would be going simply because they need to save that $7 million. We were just talking about how tight against the cap they're going to be. They're going to want that flexibility. Also, Etwan Moore, I think it's going to depend upon uh, what he wants or what he's eligible to get in free agency. I don't think it'll be much based on how he performed this year. But if some team does come in and give him the full mid-level exception over two or three years, he's definitely going to bolt. Uh, but if he comes a little bit closer to the mid-level, I would think there'd be a chance he might return. Remember, the Pelicans are bringing in a first-round pick. We anticipate they're probably bringing in DD. They've got three second-round picks. We don't know what they're going to do with those, but they're probably going to be adding at least two players, and that means two are going to go. That's probably going to be two of either Etwan, Darius Miller, or Jaleel Okafor. Um, let's go back to Ali. Let's get another question. Uh, he says, is a skinnier Zion a better Zion? No, not necessarily. And that's what something people need to understand is you want to take weight off his um, frame, right? To lessen the impact every time he jumps up and down. But here's the thing. When you start really dropping your BMI and, um, and your nutrition levels have to be so finely tuned that there's a risk. And I've talked to some specialists, nutritionists, you name it, that you suddenly are at risk of weakening your ligaments, you know, certain muscles, stuff like that. That's very important to hold, which is going to be a big frame anyways, keeping him together. So, no, I just think that I think the Pelicans are on a right track. It seems like they know what he should be as playing weight. And we saw how long it took for him to come back, right? They wanted him to work on his form. So there's things you can do other than pray somehow that he's suddenly lighter, which I don't think is an answer. When, when it puts his uh, whole frame at risk because he's got something weakened else in his body, right? So, no, Preston, I, I think that I'm just going to trust the uh, experts on that. All right, David, I think this will be a good one from you, from both Will Hammock and Andy Coyer. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, Will's question more directly pertaining to this. He says, what should we expect from Lonzo in year four? Can he blossom into that third star with B.I. and Zion? And then how do we approach his contract extension? Well, yeah, you can blossom into the third star. I mean, it's just what are your expectations of him as a third star? You talk if if you are expecting somebody's going to score twenty plus and give you, um, you know, those kinds of numbers, then I think you might be disappointed. 
uh, because the offense shouldn't work that way with these guys where Lonzo's putting up those kind of points. But as far as contract extension, um, you know, we've talked about this before as a group offline. I think Lonzo's waiting um, until he becomes a full free agent. He's not going to sign anything early unless you offer him a full max early. And it makes no sense for him to take it if there may be more money as a full free agent in that max. So uh, depending on how the cap grows, depending on what the new CBA looks like, I wouldn't be in a rush to sign early. So I think it's going to look like what the market bears, but he's going to hold out for as much money as he can get. I think he wants to be in New Orleans. He may not take the full max if it means that they're keeping some of those other players around uh, the Pelicans, but why would he sign early? I just think his value to the team right now and his relationship with Zion are the two biggest things to keep an eye on because those two guys, even more than I think Ingram now, those two guys are becoming the focus of the outside. And as people tend to kind of push Brandon to the side, I want to see how the Pelicans adjust to that. Kevin, I think this will be a good one for you. This is almost uh, before my time, uh, but I do remember Yanero Pargo and watching him. I, I want to say it was somewhere around 2008 to 2010, uh, post-David West, but but still when they were in that playoff uh, series that went to six games with the Los Angeles Lakers. Who do you got, Kevin? Yanero Pargo or Dan Dickow? Uh, Pargo, for sure. <laughs> not even a question. All right, let's uh, follow that up with another one for you, Kevin. Uh, I'm, I'm going to disclude myself from this. I've never played basketball. Uh, and, and you can just give it your best guess if you want. Who has the best jumper of all the guys that participate in thebirdrights.com? Who? Uh, man. I'm going to – I mean, it's obviously a guess because no, I haven't played with anybody on, on this uh, – on our roster, I'd say. But I'm going to – I'm going to go, I'm going to say Charlie probably has it because I mean, I know he's played high level college basketball um, and he played um, with, with Rondo, right. For a little bit um, in high school, I guess. Um, So I'm going to guess Charlie Gonzalez. Yeah. And he's got a bunch of really fun stories. If any of you guys want to DM him and, and learn some of the, uh, the backdoor tendencies of some of our favorite players in the NBA. Uh, let's go over to Ali. Uh, this will be a good one for you. Obviously none of us are draft experts. We're going to have to have Ben on here a little bit later to kind of go through some of this. And eventually we're going to have to do some research ourselves, but as of right now, Ali, assuming the Pelicans pick somewhere around 12th or 13th in the NBA draft, uh, they're they're going to go with best available, even if it is a backcourt player where they're getting increasingly uh, more saturated with talent. Uh, but what kind of player would you be targeting at a pick like that? I'm looking for a big, or I should say a normal size wing, right? I mean, we've had good wings, but a lot of them have been undersized. I would love to see somebody that can be actually big for their size at shooting guard or just normal size small forward standing next to Brandon Ingram. So I would love to see Devin Vassell fall. Uh, I don't think he'll necessarily fall, but he's going to be right in that range where the Pelicans should be picking, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range. You know, he's a kid. He's a full-fledged wing from Florida State. He's known for great defense. He's got great length. And, of course, he, he shot the heck out of the ball, the three-point ball. So he seems like the perfect 3-and-D guy to me for this roster. When you've already got Brandon Ingram, you've got Zion, you've got two go-to guys, and, of course, the ball's going to be in Lonzo's hand a lot. So you need somebody that can play with those type of guys. And I just feel like a guy like Vassal makes all the sense in the world. 
Grub, in terms of what you saw from Nikhail Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes, obviously, you know, when David Griffin approaches an NBA draft, he's just looking for the best available player. He's not necessarily taking into consideration where that player will be slotted in the depth chart. But did you see enough from Jackson Hayes and Nikhail Alexander-Walker to think that long-term, these guys can be meaningful contributors, potentially even starters? I, you know, I've been very hard on Jackson Hayes. and. Um, I'm still not sure if he's a starter or a super sub, but he's a young big man. And the history of young big men is typically that it takes four or five years for them to start really getting it together. You know, how long was Jared Allen a project before he started to become a player that people really wanted to see? Um, how it took Miles Turner a while to figure it out. You go back and there, you know, whomever it is, Jermaine O'Neal, guys who come in really young and raw. It takes them multiple years. So if you're the Pelicans, you, you're not going to know until year three when you're off, getting ready to offer him an extension or you know pick up his option as to whether or not he's going to be that guy. The key for him is everything is between the ears. And whether or not – I mean, he's going to have to put on some weight, of course, but it's about what's going on between his ears. And if he can mature to the point that that's not an issue, then certainly he may be able to be a starter – um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a much more complicated issue because of Lonzo Ball. And are you trying to develop Nikhil as a point guard or as a combo as a combo guard in the mold of Drew Holiday? So the development and the plan for Nikhil is going to have much more of an impact because you have to be patient with point guards. You've got to give them the opportunity to play and make mistakes and will that that opportunity be there for the Pelicans or do they have to use him, um, you know, so that they don't have, like we've talked about before, this glut of players under the age of 24 that are just constantly forcing you to wait for them to mature? Kevin, the Pelicans, whether they finish at 12th or 13th, right now they're tied with Sacramento. They'll have about 6% odds of getting into the top four. David Griffin has one the uh, lottery, I want to say four times. There was the Wiggins, the Anthony Bennett. I, I'm not sure if he was there when they won the Kyrie Irving. That might have been before his time, actually. But he's won it at least three times. What odds would you give the Pelicans of moving into that top four, knowing that David Griffin will be there? I mean, I always joke that he brings the best potato salad to the Illuminati uh, barbecues. And so, like, you know, whatever dark web stuff he's tied into – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put good odds on that. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say 90%. How about that? 90%. All right. That's pretty good stuff. I, I think that's about it. I'll turn it over to Ollie. If you want to talk about my fake trades, you can talk about my fake trades. You also mentioned that you're working on something. Uh, I'll open the floor to you, Ollie. Uh, what did we miss? Well, not a whole lot. Yeah. Let's get to your, your piece. But um, I just want to let everybody know, yeah, I'm almost done with an, and as David Grubb knows, Working on a big piece on Alvin, you know, basically going through a review and we're going to do all the players soon afterwards. But I want to do the write up on Alvin and, of course, talk about potential candidates the Pelicans can look at that head coach uh, after that. All right, cool. If anybody wants to take uh, take on my article, it's about 9,000 words, so it'll take you about <laughs> half an hour to read it. So I'm sure that all of you will just skim through the trades and angrily shout at your screen. But I will say that players value is uh, is is a bit based more on the contract length, 
uh, the condition of the team, how long they've been losing. It's more than just what a player is worth versus what another player is. There's tons of considerations that go into each one. Mm-hmm. It's vetted by multiple editors. Uh, I can't do the same trade twice. So if we're doing the Celtics and I'm trading Jason Tatum for Zion Williamson, I can't then trade Zion for Jason Tatum later in the article. That's redundant. Nobody wants to read the same slide twice. So with that being said, if you read all of the article, maybe it'll make more sense. It, and if you don't like that article, I wrote, I think, six last week. So go ahead and check those out. David Grubb, you've got your uh, show going every day still, regardless of where you are stationed. You're still churning them out. How's that going? You know, it's a little bit tougher, obviously, <laughs> to do it every day. But um, the the great thing is that I've been able to find some very interesting uh, new guests uh, and talk about um, some deeper topics. It's given me that opportunity to talk about some of the deeper parts of sports and not just try to uh, fight through and, and, and talk scores and, and get enough of that in. Um, so I love that. And I'm working on, like, it took me a while, you know, honestly, you know, uh, emotionally, the the start of this was really difficult, the whole COVID-19 and, and just being isolated. And I kind of just, you know, had a struggle. I went to a heavy writer's block and now I've been back writing again. So um, I'm working on the best five games from the Pelicans players trying to do them in groups of two. And I kind of go back and forth because it's, you know, going through these games is really difficult, but um, yeah. So I'm working on that and trying to do that as a series. And I think that'll be interesting uh, to try to just isolate things that show you um, either the potential or the, or, or the weaknesses of some of these players. All right. Here's a, an article that I'm going to be working on soon. So if anybody uh, thinks I'm an idiot in terms of what I've been writing, maybe you can help me out. Uh, I am going to be writing about what a Chris Paul trade to New York would mean for Shea Gilgis Alexander. So if anybody wants to help me out with that, shoot that in my DM. Kevin, let's go ahead before we get to what you've been up to. Let's talk about The Last Dance. Have you been watching it? I have. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I the I have a funny... Dennis Rodman story. If you want to hear that, um, go for it. Sure. So my friend, uh, he used to manage a sailboat racing team. So he would travel a lot, and he was in travel uh, with the yacht um, to Florida. And he was in Florida with another friend that was helping him out. And they went to a strip club down there, and uh, all of a sudden they hear over the microphone, "Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Mr. Dennis Rodman," and he comes in and. He's, he's hanging out at the strip club and they're like, oh, what's up? You know, trying to talk to him and he's kind of blowing him off. They're like, hey, can we take a picture with you? He's like, no, man, I don't want to be seen in here, which is funny because he, you know, consider his past, but also that he hangs out with Kim, Kim Jong-un by this point that you're worried about being photographed in a in a strip club is hilarious. But anyway, so they were saying that the strip club was really popping. They were playing all these uh, strip club bangers, you know, Gucci Mane, all this, all, you know, all that stuff. And then Dennis Rodman goes up and takes over the DJ booth and he just totally kills the vibe with Pearl Jam live recordings, like live performances <laughs> by Pearl Jam. It's like all he played and the and the strippers are like so depressed and it just like the whole place cleared out. So <laughs> that's a Dennis Rodman story for you. But other than that, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Um, I kind of have like a weird... Um, relationship i get i mean calling it a relationship is dumb but for lack of a better word relationship with phil jackson like i don't really i i never really liked him like i felt like he puts on this front of being like this new age like forward free thinking kind of guy but you know at the same time he's the guy that has got the 
the um, dress code enforced and stuff like that. And just other things that he does sometimes is just like so counter to that, that it really aggravates me. But, um, you know, seeing this, like, I, I'm getting a little bit softer on him, though there's still things about him that, you know, like him um, huddling up to, what's his name, Tex, um, Tex Winter, is that his name? Yes, mm-hmm. Tex Winter. Tex Winter, um, and sort of like, you know, picking his brain to then, you know, sort of take over uh, for Doug Collins, and it's kind of like a conniving move, I guess, but maybe if he... You know, he was told to do that, but it's still a little bit weird to be gunning for your boss a little bit. Um, so, but I'm just seeing a lot of different perspectives of Phil Jackson. Maybe that's softening my stance of being so anti Phil Jackson previously. Um, you know, the Michael Jordan stuff is great. I loved when they showed him the video of uh, Isaiah Thomas rationalizing them walking off the court, and you just see. Jordan's face it's like it you know it doesn't matter what he says I know you know um that that moment was great and just seeing you know I I think it's cool because you're seeing a lot of what Jordan really is you know he's a complex character he's kind of he's not like this great person uh he's not a terrible person but he's not a great person there's a lot of like gray area in there um and I think you're getting to see it all and it's it's pretty interesting um and then it's interesting from a basketball perspective of like, you know, we won five championships and now we're going to break up a team that that was still winning. Even if you see that, you know, that there are reasons to, but there are reasons, definitely reasons not to. And especially when it's, you know, talking about income for the owner and stuff like that, for him to be OK with that and, the, and them choosing a, a GM over what a star player wants and not just the star player. I mean, just like the God of the, of the whole sport, you know, go encounter to that to side with a general manager is just a strange dynamic. Um, so it's been really enjoyable and the, the soundtrack's incredible. Um, you know, and since somebody's getting some sports talk, I'll just stop. Sorry. <laughs> they hit on my video on accident. I apologize. Uh, since since we have Grub, I'm going to go ahead and pass this to Grub in a moment because I think he'll back me up on this. Uh, obviously, there's there's multiple parties to to blame throughout this scenario, but I'll go ahead and defend Jerry Krause for a moment. Me too. Uh, if anybody remembers, uh, Phil Jackson kind of did the Brett Favre thing where every offseason he was like, I don't know if I'm going to come back. Maybe I'll come back. And they mentioned on the show how they went out to Montana that summer. But what they may not have mentioned is they did the same exact thing the summer before. So Phil Jackson is in this kind of murky no man's land where nobody knows what he wants to do, but everybody's just kind of tired of begging him to come back. So I want to interject that. And then the whole Scottie Pippen thing. Scottie Pippen is not the first athlete to be underpaid. Of course, you guys remember Steph Curry playing out his contract at whatever it was 11 12 million a year hold on let me Steve. make you pause right there on that one with the scotty pippen scotty pippen was not underpaid scotty pippen negotiated a bad deal the first two years of his deal he was top 10 in the nba in salary the <laughs> first two years scotty's problem was his deal got smaller in a world where contracts do become irrelevant very quickly and he took too many years on it i understand why he did but Scotty Pippen, nobody owed Scotty Pippen more. When your owner tells you don't do this, when your agent says don't do this, and when the owner says to you clearly, once you sign this, don't come back to me on it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And we remember Steve Nash, four years, twenty million. His first two years of that, he was the MVP. He didn't go back to ownership. Steph Curry didn't go back to ownership. They patiently waited until their contract was up, and then they negotiate a new one. Not to say that Scotty wasn't worth more. Of course, he was worth more. But like Grub just prefaced, like when you sign the deal. You're supposed to fulfill the deal. You don't renegotiate the deal a little bit later. Obviously, there are different instances of that. You do become extension eligible usually one or two years prior, and that's when you get paid. That's when you say, hey, this is what I'm worth now. Pay me what I did over the past few years. Anyway, uh, let's go over to Ali and get your take on that. Who, uh, what, what perspective of yours has changed through the first four episodes? Very little because Michael Jordan's the whole reason why I became an NBA fan. And I got to watch pretty much every single game he ever played because of WGN. And uh, it was, if you had cable TV, that's all you needed was basically have access to those games. You had TBS, the Hawks. And for a time, there's WWR with uh, the Knicks. So you got to see regular NBA games by, of course, Michael Jordan, right? So <clears throat> I haven't learned except for like some storylines that have been interesting, right? to where you kind of do get more of a glimpse into, you know, relationships. What the allowances they had to make for Dennis Rodman, for instance, when Michael Jordan had to go get him, even though he didn't go to fly to Las Vegas, but he had to go to his apartment in Chicago to basically say, come on, come back to work because it's been over 48 hours. That was only supposed to be your past. So it's things like that. And one thing I want to point out that I don't know if everybody knows is, notice how different things were back then too, to like, for instance, from a beat writer perspective, those guys were allowed to go in a lot more areas. They didn't just have designated areas to where they could talk to the players. For instance, there's a scene where I think Michael Jordan's sitting on a trainer's table, and you see him talking there, I think with Sam Smith, longtime Chicago Bulls writer, and several others, and they're in a training room. And you see they're talking more off the cuff, right? And yet it was fil- it was caught on film because of uh, this documentary. But I-, I just find that, you know, it, it's, it must have probably been a more interesting time, especially if you're a story writer how you got to be able to be closer to the players, see more of what was going on. I think that would be, boy, would that be fun today, right? Yeah, we definitely, sorry, go ahead, jump in there. Oh, I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, that level of coverage, you're never going to get that access again because, Mm -mm. you know, we see players don't, players want to be in control of the messaging now. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're still, you're getting the truth. Teams as well, David. Yeah, and teams especially, yeah. Teams are far less willing to give any access and Ali and I live that all the time. Uh, but the the thing that I really, you know, you look at it too, is the perception of how you're supposed to be as an athlete has changed so much too. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, a, you know, again, I, I think the NBA has become a, a, a boys league rather than a men's league and in a lot of ways, because these kids enter and the, the it's, it's just culturally that that whole growing up process is done by a bunch of your peers. It's not done by a guy who's a 34 year old vet who runs the team. That guy, that guy doesn't exist in the NBA anymore. Um, so that's always been interesting to me, but I think again, you see Jordan, the pettiness of him because Isaiah Thomas didn't do anything wrong. Is you know, the same day, Larry bird, they got a quote from him. I never shook the Lakers hands. And he didn't shake the Pistons' hands. They walked off the through the middle of the court, not around the sideline. The Celtics walked through the middle of the court away from the Pistons. And that's just how the times were. If people want to shake hands now, cool. But Jordan wants to perceive it, and Jordan perceives everything as a slight. And that's just who he is. But I, I think, you know, the whole the, the one thing that I don't like about the series is that every episode there seems to be a hero and a villain. 
And that's the only thing that I don't like about the document. The rest, the rest of it, I love the pacing. I like the the Tarantino-esque jumping back and forth in the timeline. Yeah, some have complained about that. You and I have talked about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it gives context to those situations for me because you go back and you see why that influenced what's happening then. So, I mean, I like that part. But I think, yeah, Jordan is still a jerk, but this is the thing that helps him more. I think... At the end of the day, Jordan getting the perfect bookend of three and three in titles, never having to lose, which I think they would have the next season. Again, people forget, forget Rodman 36, Jordan 35, Harper 34, Pippen 34. That was an old team. And they had a nine-year run. And and in both for both basketball teams, that's a long time. So I mean, I just think that, you know, it, it works out better for Jordan. And now that we're not playing. You know, I think his legend will grow with this generation that didn't see him play. Kevin, I want to briefly touch on Horace Grant, uh, somebody who I think is all forgotten throughout this. We know we're going to get a lot of extensive interviews from Steve Kerr. I'm sure we'd like some more from Tony Kukoc. But Horace Grant uh, was an integral part of their first three championship teams. And then something that they haven't really mentioned yet, in 94-95, when Michael Jordan came back and they were eliminated by the Orlando Magic, not only did they have a giant hole at that power forward position, Horace Grant was then an all-star with the Orlando Magic. So talk about, and he also had one of the most notable quotes last week when he said that the (laughs) Pistons were straight up bitches. Uh, Kevin, do you want more Horace Grant? From what I heard is that we are getting that soon. And I think that uh, part of the reason why he hasn't been in it much so far and also why he was jettisoned is what I heard is that he was a guy that was leaking stuff out of the locker room to to the media about inner tur- turmoil and not being in his own unhappiness of, you know, playing second, third, fourth fiddle, those kind of things. So, um, but I, I think I did see somewhere or read or hear somewhere that like in the next couple episodes, there's a lot more Horace Grant and it sort of exposes that, that the players knew that he was a guy snitching out of the locker room. Okay, well, I will definitely be excited to watch that. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. We are at the hour mark. Uh, Kevin, we didn't touch upon uh, anything you're working on this week. Is there anything you want our listeners to know about? Uh, I mean, I'm not really writing any basketball stuff, uh, but I am working on a lot of records right now. I'm like knee deep in record design projects and then also still trying to do uh, writing on a collection of short stories and essays that I've been working on. Um, none of them really are basketball related, though I do have a story about uh, a time I was at a Hornets game and I saw you go the Hornet choke a child. Um, and that's a true story that's not fabricated. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'll have that. I, I, I actually wrote that one out and I need to go back and edit it. Maybe I'll release that one day soon if there's some, uh, you know, return to basketball or something. But um, yeah, so those are the only things I'm working on. I don't really plan on writing any Pelican stuff in the near future um, until I get more engaged in it and there's something to be more engaged in, I guess. Well, I've been out for a couple of weeks, so I'll be writing something tomorrow morning. I don't know uh, yet what, but uh, let's uh, remember to follow Ali at Ali Cosell, Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce, David at DM Grub. Ali, would you like to help us sign off? I'm going to let, uh, I think, the wounded guy, but I'm trying to decide which one, right? Preston, so help me decide. <laughs> We're going to either let Grub or Kevin, since they've endured some pain this week. 
I'm not sure that our listeners uh, they heard about the uh, about Kevin's calf muscle that was viciously attacked yesterday, but I'm not sure they know uh, about how David Grubb's eyes have been bleeding without basketball. Okay, there we go. <laughs> without going into too much detail, I had a minor eye surgery, and yes, it caused me bleeding for two days. And I shared those pictures with Ollie of me dripping blood from my eyes. So yes, uh, basketball may be causing my my uh, uh, energies to just become so uh, just repressed because I have nowhere to let them go that now I'm pushing the blood from my orifices. <laughs> What better way to sign off, you guys? Uh, please, if you like what you're hearing, uh, make sure to give us however many stars you possibly can. What is it, five? It's been a while for me. Make sure to like this, retweet it. Uh, tell your friends about it. Obviously, there's not a lot of Pelicans content out there right now, so we are glad to still be giving you guys some information. So make sure to help us. Uh, I am Preston Ellis. You can follow me at Preston Ellis. For now, let's dance. Let's go Pelts. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement whether mom's into classic dress watches rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers movement has something she'll love and right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.